Hello, welcome back to the Time Turner Collective. Um, this month is the sixth episode, yeah, and we are discussing "On the Road" by Jack Kerouac with our lovely guest Kat. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's lovely to be here. Yeah, we have some. Yeah, it's it's the the month of June. It is June. Who knew? <laughs> it really is. Yeah, it's it's difficult with quarantine, you know, knowing the time, but. Oh yeah. This month we are discussing a book from the 50s. Yeah. Which is, you know, the halfway point, which is nice because it's also the sixth month. And also because <laughs> with everything that's been going on in the last month or so, um, it kind of does feel like we're living in the 50s. Yeah. Very true. Very true. We really did travel back in time. But this we can't month. hit the road. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. <laughs> oh, if only we could go on. A road trip across road trip. America several oh, times. I really want to. In a couple of years. At this stage, I am very close to developing a low-level drug problem as well, so I feel like I relate very deeply to these characters. Do you want to talk yeah. about this or? <laughs> uh, I'll I'll do that in therapy later. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. We always have some questions to to ask you, so you can introduce yourself to the audience oh yeah do you want me to do the questions yeah you 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 know them better (laughs) so what do you study i study english and american literature i think you're the first one on that does exactly the same (gasps) that's very exciting yeah Yeah. presentation we do have like mostly english and history students though yeah and and Mm. film yeah we had a film one but you're the first with American studies as well, so this is yeah. our wow. representation because it's I also feel the, honored for Kerouac for our boy. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, for our good boy. Yes, Jackie. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is a very American, American. Yeah, novel. It really, yeah, yeah, very much. Yes. And what is your favorite spice? My favorite spice. Yeah. Yes. Oh, um, oh, gosh, you're really throwing me on the spot here. Um, <laughs> uh, oh. Currently, I would say, like, maybe, like, Herb de Provence. I've been using them a lot recently. Like, Provence herbs, nice. yeah. Like, a little stew, mm. you know, nothing, nothing. Like, a kind of, like, little French peasant vibe, little meal. Yeah, they're good. I like them. We like mm-hmm. that. I do support yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's got, like, yeah. cottagecore vibes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, like, make it French. <laughs> yeah. So I'm feeling a bit of spice in the cottagecore. That's my... What would you say your favourite book is? If you had to choose just one. Okay, like Desert Island Disc situation. Yeah. Um, ooh, I, th- I keep coming back to The Unbearable Lightness of Be- Being by Milan Kundera. That is just... I think I read it when I was about 15, 16, and I feel like I can't stop thinking about it, which is a good sign. Um, mm. I don't really get it still, but I kind of like that I don't get it. <laughs> but yeah, it's the oh, kind of book really? I feel if I, yeah, it's oh amazing. Like I think I found it. It was sort of um, I saw like the cover. I mean, I feel like that's just you know I see a cover and I'm like that looks cool. Judging a book by its cover, it's my go to. And I kind of yeah, was into same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's really cool. I think as well, English isn't his first language, so it's very unusual style of writing. Mm-hmm. I like that. I do. I do feel like. 
I feel like the books that you read at sort of 15, 16 are the ones that stick with you for the longest. Yeah. Because I think a lot of my favourite books I read at that age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's quite like formative years. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Cool. I agree, yeah. Oh, do you have a favourite film? We don't always ask this, but we sometimes do. Oh, favourite film? Oh, that's a great question. Mm. It's always the kind of thing where you always regret your answer. Cause like, why didn't I think of that film, which is clearly my yeah. favourite film? But like, yeah. it's like why is the like only thing list. I'm thinking of right now? It's like Shrek Two. Like that's like it's like the thing that pervades my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great film. It though. is a great film. I think probably almost famous is uh, Cameron Crowe. That's. Yeah, I love a bit of Almost Famous. There's some like great little mm. kind of cinematic moments and that just tickle my biscuit, if you will. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I love that one. That's, that's the first thing I can think of probably first of all say is for the rest of them the rest of the books that we've read we've seen an adaptation of oh, but yeah. I haven't seen an adaptation of this but I have seen Kill Your Darlings. Darlings which oh yeah I think kind of it set it kind of works it's not exactly yeah it, yeah. it kind of it sets up the like the characters that we see in the book who yeah. are like yeah are given different names but we all know yeah. who they are well it's not exactly like around this time Cody no Cody Killer Darlings is earlier no yeah it is it's when they're in college wait yeah even, Killer Darlings is 44 and 45 I don't know because I think I read like an uh, a New York article you know <laughs> where they discussed it and I think he was talking about how it took which which is why that's in my brain like how it took place yeah, before no it definitely wasn't before but pro- because no okay I was kind of... Oh, yeah, because this is published right after How Yes, I was looking up the biography mm-hmm. of yeah. some of the characters. Because, I, I don't know, I love Kill Your Darlings and, like, the whole beat thing. I, I want to, yeah. like, know more about it than I do. Yeah. But it, I find it really interesting. But that whole situation mm. with Lucian Carr yeah. and David Camera and... Yeah, and when Jack Carrack was arrested, um, that was very... That kind of influenced how he used the rest of his life. And also after that, he got married to Edie, who's his first <laughs> wife, and then after they got divorced was when he went on the road. Oh. Yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. We should talk about context as well. Yes. Well, the B generation context is quite important. Yeah. I was also looking at what other books were written mm-hmm. in the fifties. There are yeah loads Same. of really there interesting so ones. Should I yeah. say what I got on the new? Say if you got anything else. Okay. So I got Lolita, Catcher in the Rye, Lord of the Flies, Fahrenheit four five one, Charlotte's Web, Cat in the Hat, Naked Lunch by William Burroughs, who was another 
Um, yeah. The writer who was in Kill Darlings. Narnia. Things Fall Apart. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Yeah, that's about what I got. Do you get anything else, Laura? Well, Hemingway was writing quite a bit. Oh, wow. And important mm-hmm. writing... Well, right now it's always been important, but Rolf, Rolf Ellison did write a lot of book, and James Baldwin were yeah, two yeah, I got very Baldwin. important black writers who yeah. we did study with American Lit, but just did amazing work. See, I've read Giovanni's Room, um, which this book did remind me of Mm -hmm. a bit in writing style and in the sort of race and sexuality kind of vibes that was going on. Yeah, or like lack of discussions. Yeah, but like how it was just present constantly. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a constant... Yeah. presence or sort of within the, that's built into the text but isn't directly addressed at any point specifically mm. yeah yeah i mean it wasn't the first initially it was um on the road was an excerpt published in a it might have been paris review and it was called the mexican girl and that was the first kind of essentially public viewing that people had of the piece itself and that in yeah. itself mm-hmm. is kind of centrally sort of composed around race which is interesting as that sort of I think it's a thematic throughout the novel the idea of especially kind of in terms of Americana like viewing these sort of outsiders who are sort of yeah. both essentially American but also very kind of alien um, and that's kind of winded throughout it but yeah I think that's quite interesting he that was what he presented first and that was kind of yeah. the central kind of idea that he kind of was like okay I'm going to put this out to the world first and then we're going to have the whole thing later but that was the first kind of because I think you know that's obviously key to the novel but it's interesting I think he chose that rather than other sort of plot lines throughout the novel which potentially are more explosive and kind of um dramatic that he it was a quiet kind of roadside scene so that's interesting yeah it's much more about the exploration than the actual because I don't really think like we'll get to this in a bit but there's a there's not really a plot line Mm. like there's no like start of adventure like high point and low it's just like a constant like stream of life biographical yeah plot driven yeah which yeah is definitely interesting Mm. Um, but that kind of makes sense because at the time there were a lot of books um well travel for one like kicked off a lot more because it was post-war people wanted to like go live their lives you know cars were being more more and more sold as something that everyone could have Mm. yeah so like travel was a lot more available to everyone and i don't know there's a like exploration but on a smaller scale than just like colonization you know (laughs) yeah yeah and like more personal type of explanation yeah just finding your own instead of like being the new america they sound more like the individual i i find it quite funny as well i mean obviously that all of the characters are based on actual people and when he was mm-hmm. initially interviewed about the novel, um, apparently people thought, were convinced he he himself was De- um, Dean Moriarty. And they kicked off all this fuss about saying, no, but you are Dean Moriarty. And he's like, no, I'm Sal Paradise. And they were kind of so convinced that yeah. he was a sort of anti-hero of it. Um, when, I mean, at no sort of point in the novel would I have thought, even without that knowledge, that he was Dean Moriarty. Like, I felt very clear to me no. that, <laughs> that he was, that was clearly an infatuation. Yeah. He had this homosocial infatuation. 
Yeah, and Dean Moriarty is is clearly someone that he kind of idolizes. Mm. Yeah. It, 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 there's Very there's mysterious. definitely an obsession. Yeah. And if that was supposed to be him, that would be <laughs> weird. Yeah, so vain. Like yeah. idolizing yourself. <laughs> it's like narcissism. reading Gatsby, but from yeah. the perspective of Gatsby. <laughs> It also it also felt you know the idolization felt so intimate and the kind of narrow details of it all are so heightened and specific. I mean it, it would have kind of like had to have bent his own mind backwards in order to navigate it from another perspective, which I kind of feel like no matter how much Benzedrine he was popping, that would have not really <laughs> been possible. So yeah, I kind of I found that quite funny that they were almost trying to convince him this kind of psychological that you are <laughs> Dean Moriarty like no I'm not Dean Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> I am Sal Paradise. We had this whole Spartacus the real situation. Dean Moriarty are the friends he made along <laughs> the way. Please stand up. But the it's real true. Dean Moriarty <laughs> is so interesting. Neil Cassidy. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah. reading about him. So he was ve- like an intrinsic part of the Beat um, group, and mm. he yeah. was like the kind of quintessential beat figure in that he was seen by his friends as the free spirit like he was the one who was authentically living the way that everyone else wanted to live his second wife had an affair with jack carrack they were together for a long time yeah yeah mary lou no caroline 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 i think caroline had but like in the book she's mary lou isn't she maybe yeah i think she is yeah that's what i mean yeah yeah, so she was um, Carolyn. She actually lives, I don't know if she's still alive, but she lived a good amount of her life in Berkshire. So the land of the free. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, after, so Neil Cassidy and Jack Carrick died at the end of the 60s. Yeah, so, really early on. Yeah, they. they but um, Neil Cassidy, after he got divorced, lived with Allen Ginsberg. So he was one mm-hmm. of... Allen Ginsberg's big loves, I think. But Jack Carrack was also debatably in love with him, which we can definitely see in On the Road. There's an interesting discussion, but lack of discussion, of his own sexuality in the book. There's a really interesting dynamic, I think, between them. I'm trying to find a passage um, that they kind of... He talks about essentially the fact that is like a point of realization where he essentially yeah realizes that he's you know Neil Cassidy isn't in the steep at him oh yeah I found so it was probably the pivotal point of our friendship when he realized I'd actually spent some hours thinking about him and his troubles and he was trying to place that in his tremendously involved and tormented mental categories <laughs> so it's kind of yeah it's, it's like this sort of weird it's like a weird unrequited level it's not at a point of disgust but it's kind of like Neil Cassidy just on other planes like he's kind of involved with things beyond yeah. relationships and friendships he's just sort of he's like kind of peering down on all the other people trying to sort of do their own yeah. petty domestic livings which is why the ending is kind of like what makes it complete because it's like for the first time really that he is on his way like dean is on his way to to sal mm. yeah instead of the yeah. other way around yeah and then sal has to like send him back but he still ends it with like and i'm thinking of dean it kind of feels like a rom-com ending. <laughs> it does. I think of Dean Moriarty. I even think of old Dean Moriarty, the father we never found. I think of Dean Moriarty. <laughs> it's just so nice. 
Yeah. But like, I know I, I read this in like a rom com way, but it's like actually so like, everything is so deep, you know? I felt, I felt so troubled by the ending. I kind of came away from it feeling this feeling of disturbance. I think yeah. it's it had that same, I've, yeah, it's interesting you bring up um, James Baldwin and this kind of, the ending of that when it's just sort of just left in suspension and there are all these lives that have kind of come into chaotic contact in this sort of wild, turbulent place. And they're, but they're still suspended in the ending. There's not really... There's a kind of false resolution, but there's not, like, an ultimate one. And I came away from it, sort of... Yeah. Um, I felt incredibly... It felt Almost tragic, like in a way. There was a weird tragedy. I felt like you kind of do lose something. Just, like, because the book builds up so much, and then the yeah. end, it's just kind of dropped. Yeah. yeah. Instead of, like, captured. Yeah, exactly like that. It's, it's like a cinematic thing of the way he writes. It's very sort of film like and then it's kind of like the camera's been panning yeah. around nervously and there's all this kind of ongoing tension and it's not like the ends kind of fade the black the end is just faded but it just keeps on fading and you're just kind of sitting <laughs> it's just mind. like a freeze frame yeah it, it there, really like, is it's really oh uh, wait the people can't see this but <laughs> i did the, the it was a great move the breakfast club freeze frame <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's exactly <laughs> but like, then a sad one it's exactly like that but even the breakfast club has that kind of sadness to it because i mean a i happy, feel like yeah. everyone knows it's that like they, a sad they're... breakfast club exactly because i mean the relationship in the breakfast club between you know oh i can't remember his name is it Be- ben and then it's Claire. Yeah, ben, I think there's a yeah. Ben in there. It's Claire and then him. She's like the yeah. And I feel like their relationship is really sad because you kind of know that it's really yeah. screwed up and it's not gonna work out, right? And then it's the kind of same thing here where yeah. they've both kind of missed each other at this kind of pivotal point. He's come to meet him at the point where he's finally able to kind of reconcile this relationship and he's just kind of like, Well, you know, you can get there by yourself and it's kind of just this weird missing i don't know strange yeah yeah it is so interesting because i don't know like the whole thing with jack carrack being well we don't know whether he was gay or Mm. bisexual but like he was surrounded by so many people who were so open about their sexuality in a time when it was illegal to be like that but he wasn't able to be Mm. honest with himself and I don't know if... So it's... it's They've recently, I'm not sure how recently, republished On the Road with the text that he originally wrote with the names of the people mm. he was writing about unchanged. And there were also some sex scenes that were cut, specifically a sex scene between the Alan Ginsberg character and Dean Moriarty, who is Neil yeah. Casty's stand-in. yeah that was cut and I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, I don't think that's in my copy, no. No, it's not yeah. in mine either, but I was reading about it. It would be it would change the dynamic if you were aware that there was something with Dean and mm. men, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like if he wasn't like this unattainable figure for mm. Sal. Yeah. I do see what you mean. But then at the end he kind of comes to Sal and he's like I love you, but it feels like yeah. more than like friendship. It does feel like more. It's than friendship. so intense, yeah. like a soulmate kind of way. Not necessarily yeah. romantic, but like definitely like a connection from like inside. I, what you I know? find um, about it's interesting about him is the fact that there's no kind of female centric 
romance with him. It's not that he goes out and pursues women. It's like he pursues people and yeah. he's kind of... He's so fascinated with people. Yeah. And it's always verging on a sexual encounter. I always feel like it's on the kind of point of tipping over into something sexual. Maybe there's something like a, a circumstance prevents it in the sense that, you know, he for whatever yeah, reason but definitely. it always I kind of he himself is just this huge ball of like this great sexual energy and he and he does it all the time like there, there's kind of these um really intense descriptions of him and he's he's like bare chest in the car they all take their clothes off and he gets out to the police officer and there's yeah. kind of this sense of like masculine competition between them of like oh who's more virile between us who's got more yeah. I've got all this skin on show what are you gonna do about it? I'm with a woman what are you gonna do about it and it's like this very bizarre and I feel like it's kind of between them both like um the fact that it's um you know Mary Lou Dee Moriarty and Sal Paradise and then you know it's the two that there's he's third wheeling on top like most of the trip but then there's that kind of weird thing of oh but why don't you get with her and I'll stand here and watch you get with her and you're like what is he looking to gain from this encounter yeah. and that and that's when I feel like his tipping point. like yeah he never fully like goes mm. for it completely but he's always yeah. like there's always like the the slight exploration like even when they're i don't remember exactly where they are but they go to a bar and there's music mm. playing and in yeah. that's okay. no i don't know it's not in mexico it yeah it's the that? part before that yeah it's okay. not too much before that it's, i think it's like because it's five sections i think yeah. it's section three somewhere okay. in there they go to like a bar and i'm pretty sure dean is there still um yeah and they see people playing it's when they see carl again for the first time and you see him playing trumpet and they're like oh my god it's, it's Carl. So funny carlo marx yeah it's great but they see him again for the first because time because it's alan ginsburg so, yeah i don't know that just tickled me yeah. but he's playing it like tickled a my biscuit as cat would say and it's wild but and that's when they start talking about the getting mm. it but like capital yeah. it and it's so sexualized but there's nothing yeah. actually sexual happening yeah. it felt very that's what i meant like it's very the 50 like it's the book itself is written like ralph ellison wrote it but like the mm. jazz yeah undertones. how like it has the rhythm itself and it's always like very sexual but nothing is really happening that makes it that way yeah they they feel almost academically distanced yeah. from sex as if it's something they want to encounter in order to kind of have this enlightenment around it it's not like this sort of gritty kind of physical like sweaty outpouring it's like this sort of i want to experience this so i'm going to write about it and i'll write poetry about it and it will be this yeah. this very enlightening experience for me and i feel like that's kind of the voyeuristic element of him almost what he's wanting to watch um sal paradise get with mary lou not as this kind of like perverse sort of desire but more of just what i just want to watch this and see how i feel and see like what how i can use that and weaponize it and it's sort of like very postmodern. yeah i feel like they kind of have a relationship like that with mm -hmm. poverty yeah. as well and specifically like the yeah. farmer lifestyle when he's in He's in California, isn't he? With the, the cotton field picking. Mm. Yeah, she. He's with what is her name? The the first wife person. She's no. She's not the. She's not. A no, wife. they're she's... just like he's the the. How do you call it? The woman that he meets on the bus. Is she oh, Mexican? Uh... She might be Mexican. Oh, I thought you meant a different I can't section. Remember her name. Yeah. yeah, but um, she's got a young son. And her brother, and he it kind Terry. of feels like at some point he's gonna have some sort of relationship with the brother 
Terry. 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 Terry, yeah. Terry, yes, that's her name. Um, I never understood why she didn't go to New York, but that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think she was one of the most interesting female Mm. characters in that for me. I don't know what it was, but she seemed... Maybe because he wasn't... He didn't have the influence of any of his other friends at that point. Like, it was very much... Just him. At that moment, you saw Cell Paradise and you saw... Like, the raw version of his character, like an unedited version where he wasn't yeah. influenced by the people who influenced him at mm-hmm. other points in the novel. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of, like, the most real version of him. But um, he de- he I, he I kind of glorified their lifestyle and, mm. like, the simplicity of it and almost, like, the poetry of it. And I think... I don't know. I'm not entirely sure, like, how problematic it is. Yeah, there's definitely some bits in there that are a bit... Like, the same thing with Dean. He does a lot yeah. of questionable things, yeah. but Sal yeah. keeps admiring it a lot, like, the way he treats girls. Like, at first I thought it was just, like, the greaser, like, hello, darling, kind of situation. Yeah. But then sometimes it's like, I'm just going to grab her, and then you're like, ooh, but that's not... <laughs> but then the way it's written doesn't make it seem like it's bad, yeah. which is worse. Yeah. <laughs> also, I spent... How old are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be in like their mid twenties, aren't they? I think so. Well, I think they get. But at some points, they feel a lot yeah. younger than that. Yeah, but also some points they feel a lot older. Yeah, so I think they kind of go from like maybe twenty three, twenty four up until about twenty six. Mm. Yeah, because they keep getting married. Yeah, they all got married yeah. really young though. Yeah. Neil Cassidy. I think he first got married at eighteen, and his wife was sixty. Yeah. No, I think. When they met Mary Lou, she was 15, it was described. Mm. Yeah. And the, which is a bit wild and, like... I think... I don't know. It's... Yeah. It's, it's, it was, I know it's a different time, but also... It's... Yeah. It's it hard, was, it like, was... problematizing texts, like you said, from like, that historic, because there's sort of... It's very hard to place ourselves in that culture, because obviously we can look back at kind of historical literature we can compare it to also like you know how historical knowledge of the time but um it's it's hard to know how kind of how much it's trying to be something that's sort of grappling against issues at the time how hard it's how kind of much it's sort of trying to work against that or how much it's just like essentially a sightseeing trip that doesn't actually have to deal with the kind of grittiness and issues that exist and it's I don't know, it's it's sort of an interesting conversation because we're holding it up to standards that are also modern, modern and also yeah. indi- deeply individual to us, to us all, kind of, you know, what we believe, what we're passionate about as people, what we believe should be upheld. Yeah. But I definitely see, like, I mean, something I felt, I, I think just, like, as a personal point of view, you know, when he's, especially these Mexican people that he sees, it very much to me kind of, it's this like academic distance he has from his fascination and almost it's sort of like it's a tourist encounter and they're these kind of objects that he's encountering, he's fascinated with. And he has the kind of privilege and leisure to be able to say, okay, my trip is done now, I'm going to leave you here and I'm going to go back to my place that I have set up. And I think regardless of what time it's in, um, that I think even he himself... I think the fact he's drawing attention to it shows this sort of, at least a vague sense of awareness that, um, you know, his aunt's going to fax some money. And <laughs> the fact he keeps bringing that up, I think he's yeah. got this sense of, of awareness yeah. of, like, the difference between them. And I think 
you know, no matter how how much that isn't talked about or isn't delved into as deeply as it should be, um, there's kind of a stab at there's a stab at something in there. I think. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like every time they're like, getting, for instance, like very poor, he, he makes like like it's a fun yeah. period, yeah. like their poverty is their funnest period yeah. they have. I do see almost. that. But then he just went once he's done with that, he just indeed messages his aunt and it's like, now yeah, I want the yeah. money and I'll come back. He explores it. So I don't think it's done in the most offensive way and more in a like admiring yeah. way. But it's which also, isn't good for our times. I think the whole book but specifically his like the way that he kind of looks at other people who have different experiences with him than him. Um, is very very self indulgent, mm. and um, I think I don't I don't know about you guys, but one of the n- one of the, like the things I knew about the text was from the nineteen seventy five song Change of Heart, <laughs> where he goes I quote on the road like a twat, and yeah. after I finished it, like one of my first things was yeah I understand why Matt Healy likes this book because it's it's yeah. very self indulgent oh. in a way. And narcissistic in a way that I feel like yeah, he would relate to. The, the 1975's entire trademark, their band name, comes from a Jack Kerouac manuscript. He wrote June the 1975. And you're like, they have made their whole image and aesthetic based around this kind of beatific, bohemian lifestyle. And they've essentially... But this, also, like, the oh. whole... The the white masculinity, yeah. like, looking at yourself yeah. and just sort of, like... Yeah, you know, and, and, and this kind of soft yeah. boy image of like I, I will sleep with you. It'll be a one night stand, but I'm also gonna cry about the fact it's a one night stand the next day. You know, it's kind of like sort of deeply <laughs> introspective, but not actually self blaming. It's just very yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. And that was one of the first things I was like, yeah, I get it now. I understand. Mm-hmm. I I com- I completely because it's so much fun to read. Like I don't approve, but still I want to yeah. be there. Okay, I've got a question. Yeah. Did you like the book? Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would say, I think I enjoyed reading it, but I'm not sure if I like it. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Like, so I read it and it was nice to read and I felt like I was just being guided along a road and I was sort of learning about these different characters along the way. I'm not sure how much I related to the characters. I'm not sure how much I understood the characters. I'm not sure how much I liked the characters, and I'm not sure how much I liked the story. That's fair. But I think it's done in a way. It's kind of, like, presented to you. He's sort of like, there you go. Here is what happened Mm. from a slightly idealised perspective. Yeah, I find it really interesting. Take it or leave it. But I'm not sure how much I like to what extent I like it, which I think is is it was like a distinction because I finished this I finished the book about two or three weeks ago and since then I've kind of been like mm. did I like it yeah but yeah I just I kind of sat down and I, I realized I enjoyed it but I'm not sure if I liked it um, and I'm not sure That's if there fair. are any other books that I've had that experience with because I feel like I've either liked them or disliked them. Yeah. Um, and this is mm-hmm. kind of somewhere in the middle. I think it is because the writing is really yeah. good. Like, it's different. It's just, it feels like it's stream of consciousness. 
But then it's so specifically well done. Yeah. It can't it, well, be... it kind of is, though, isn't it? Because didn't he... He wrote yeah. it in a few weeks. He did. But then some sentences, you're like, you can't just... You can't just flop that out there. Surely. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yeah. There was a lot of flopping it out there. <laughs> I read this a few years ago, actually, because I went through, oh, and again, when I was probably about 14, I went through a big beat generation stage and I read Naked Lunch. Um, I read this and I also read some Anne Ginsberg poetry. I went through, yeah, I think I like watched Kill Your Darlings and Lost My Mind, essentially. <laughs> and I... I Tumblr it's... was definitely there. <laughs> exactly that. I, what, what I, I feel like that was a lot of English students' yeah. experience. What I found really interesting was through rereading it, I mean, I think my impression, re- rereading it now when I'm older, um, the kind of takeaway from it has been so different. I mean, I think when I was reading it when I was younger, it was kind of the, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have this kind of contextual knowledge of it being an autobiography, and I, obviously I think context isn't always important, but I think for something like this, it actually it added a lot reading this for the second time and kind yes. of pairing it, it gave it kind of this emotional depth that I was like, oh, this is yeah. this is intimate because it doesn't actually feel that intimate if if it's not an autobiography because it's not like he's exposing these kind of the same. I think this, you know you get like Allen Ginsberg poetry and like every single word is just packed with this kind of madness, this like raving history. And with this, it's kind of I don't think he kind of delves in quite as deep. But then when you realise it is autobiographical, you're like, oh wait, okay, no, this is really really crazily intimate. And it kind of, I think then I, I had this sort of emotional level yeah. to it that I hadn't had before. And I think that made me enjoy it a lot more than I did before. I think, um, particularly compared to something like Naked Lunch, which I won't lie, I read that. And I was like, is it anything but a list of drugs that he's taken throughout like the last three years? It was absolute <laughs> insanity. Um, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I feel like he's on a- another level. Like if Jack yeah. Kerouac is here, like Naked Lunch is like, even even yeah. more so mad. Naked lunch to me felt and like, like hell somewhere like in between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it felt like a doctor who'd gone rogue, but he had this vast medical knowledge, and he was seeking to teach it to his kind of underlings. But he'd gone very rogue and kind of amoral. Um, but he still had this backlog of information. Like he still wanted to do his lectures and medical seminars, but he was like, I need an outlet. I'm gonna just write, you yeah. know, a, like a propaganda pamphlet for um for all the shit I've taken in the last however long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, yeah, I did enjoy it, but it's, yeah, different. Yeah, different. it's weird, especially if you're, like, younger. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I feel... I, I read it most... Re- I read it... I finished it this morning. <laughs> I have <laughs> been morning. reading it over, like, the last couple of weeks, but I've been very busy, so it's been, like, mm. a couple of, like, chapters, and then yesterday and today, I read, like, more than half the book. So I read most of it the last two days i think it's definitely a book that you can dip in and out yeah, of as long as you're is. reading it like within a like a not extensive span of time like within a month yeah. maybe you can kind of dip in now but you can get quite a good mm. way through it just in one sitting because it feels like you're like on the trip itself because the trip takes long times yeah. Yeah. yeah so like it it does make sense but now i feel like because i've read it yeah. most of it in like two days mm-hmm. it feels more like one story instead of like an entire mm. journey almost yeah. but i feel like because i read it yeah at for sure the, the fine age of 19 um <laughs> i feel like it's a very different experience i feel like if i had read it knowing my younger self at like the age 14 15 i feel like we're all mm. quite similar around that age <laughs> yeah 
But I feel like I would have idolised, yeah. like, Salomon idolising um, Dean Moriarty. Yeah. So there's, like, a, another level of me having watched Kill Your Darlings and this book having to live up to that standard. So already going in it, being very prejudiced, being like, I'm going to be a cool teenager who's going to love this book. And I feel like now I don't have that level as much and now I can read it more objectively. Like, I still was very excited for this book because I love the B generation. But I feel like I had more, like, if I generally wouldn't like this, I feel like I would say that's so a, to myself. That's a really interesting point, I think, because sometimes it's kind of, especially with a movement like this that has so much kind of cultural tension drawn to it. It's like, am I... In- there's exactly. a lot of personality like, and, and you have to kind movement. of think am I infatuated with the literature or am I infatuated with the idea of the literature being spawned from this kind of hedonistic era am I just more in love with the movement itself than what has kind of been made from it yeah, yeah exactly I have another question mm-hmm. if you had to have a dinner date with one of the people involved in the beat movement or one of the members of the Beat Generation, who would you choose? I think I would pick Jack. I think I'd pick Allen Ginsberg. Yeah, I th- I think I'd pick um Allen Ginsberg purely just to sit down. I'd pass him a copy of Howl, and I just go what, and I just let him talk talk that at me for like three hours. Um, yeah. But I think the whole kind of stoner hippie Marxist thing. Yeah. I kind of, that I, kind of appeals to me. I did see that, but then I feel like I feel like I could have more of a conversation with Jack. I feel like he's more grounded, mm, maybe. and he would be able to tell me about Alan, but he'd know what was going on more because okay. he's more observant. I think this might be controversial that the okay. presentation of Jack Carrack in Kill Your Darlings is entirely inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Okay, so in that film, is he presented as anything more than an overachieving wannabe writer, but also a frat boy? A bit, yeah. I feel like he is presented as a more like someone who thinks more about his actions. Yeah, no, I definitely I think... think he is clearer as a character, and the others seem more like just. The others feel like they idolise their life at Columbia more. And Jack just seems more like he has his life together. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But also, I I think it's something there about the kind of unquestioned heterosexuality in that film. Yeah. But also the fact that... So, Carolyn Cassidy, mm-hmm. who... I, I, I'm going to look into her because she's a really interesting woman. So, she had an affair with him for years. And she said that he was one of the most sensitive and thin-skinned people she ever knew. And I wouldn't get that impression from him from the film, but I think I would from On the Road. You mean, like, how he's much more emotional? Yeah. Yeah, I do see that. I feel like he's maybe too grounded in Yeah, film. I think so. I, ju- I just... I don't know. I just... The idea of Jack Carrack that I was given from that film going into the book was very different than the idea of Jack Carrack that I had halfway through or at, by the end of the book? I think what lay in the, sh- yeah. the, shock, um, the shock factor that really hit me was Harry Potter having anal penetrative sex. I had not prepared myself for that. <laughs> I will never see Harry Potter in the same <laughs> for way. For a second, I was so confused and I was like... <laughs> in Kill Your Darlings, that was what... Um, I, I have to, yeah... 
I feel like that is a part of Kill Your yeah. Darlings that I forget that kind of every o- time. And that overrode any like, intricacy oh, of yeah, characterial presentation happens. for me. It was just, okay, wow, this is, you know, Hogwarts has changed. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's Hogwarts if it was university. <laughs> yeah. And also, yeah. me watching Kill Your Darlings didn't know, like, Alan Ginsberg, really. So googling Alan Ginsberg later mm-hmm. and seeing what he actually looked like was such a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that film is Daniel Radcliffe at his most attractive, playing a character who is probably the least attractive real character that's that the he's thing. ever reading, played. Reading on the road, everyone seems so attractive. Googling these people, such a disappointment. Neil Cassidy is kind of hot. Yeah, but like. So maybe we did idolise a lot of people. I, I mean, I've got a copy where it has a picture of them on the front, and I thought they were quite good-looking yes. men. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. There you go. They there like he is. Attractive men. But is that actually them? I mean, I think Neil Cassidy is better looking, for me personally, than Jack Carrick. Cause Wait, Neil but Cassidy's I don't think the that's right. them. Is this the front cover Jack Carrick and Neil Cassidy? No, this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, this one. Yeah, yeah that yeah. one is. This one mm. isn't. Oh wait, I have a different one. Never mind then. Yeah, they are. I have him on the yeah. back, but just him. Jack Carrick is that oh, one. Oh, that's Jack Carrick. That one. And then that's Neil Cassidy. That's we'll, Jack. We'll post a picture of this on our Instagram when this comes out of the front cover of the book. Um, for context, oh, because yeah. I feel like this is very for the people we're, we're showing each other, <laughs> like... and then it's an audio medium. So yeah, we'll post it. I almost if, forgot if you're that at we this point recording. and you don't know. We this is just turned into a like ranking of attractiveness of beat poets. <laughs> okay, so what would we say? Would you rather? It wasn't that what it was always going to be? Would you rather like kiss shag marry <laughs> avoid or whatever it is shag marry kill? <laughs> Jack Carroll, Alokinsberg, and Neil Cassidy. <laughs> I do think it's important though because I think one of the main elements of the text is the fact that everyone is in love yeah. with Neil Cassidy yeah. slash well, Dean Moriarty. I would, so I would definitely important. kill Alan Ginsberg and marry Jack How Jack Jack Howard. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was a slip of the tongue. That would be a very different book. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Everything's the same apart from Jack Carrick is Jack Carrick. Because <laughs> it's Jack and Dean. <laughs> oh my god. Jack and Dean. Oh dear. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. Yeah. But marry Jack Kerouac, kill Alan Ginsberg, Shaq Neil Cassidy. Controversial. You think so? I think killing Alan Ginsberg at any point would be controversial. But after he's written so Howl, I mean... <laughs> so like his important work is done. <laughs> But isn't he gay? Wasn't he gay? So I think, like, you wouldn't yeah, but have that's a not part of the game. necessarily marriage. But that's never been taken into account with Fuck, Mary Kill. Yeah. What? Consent. <laughs> yeah. And or sexuality. Yeah, true. <laughs> Only with your consent. Sorry, just bringing it back around. Okay. Well... Dear people at home, we've just had a two-day break. The conversation got too much. We couldn't handle it anymore. It's now so Monday. <laughs> yeah, that too. I'm gonna have one more. I'm no, snacking. we just got hungry. We got hungry too and we right. needed to make too dinner. Right. So, I won't be eating this with the last one. <laughs> 
This is like ASMR now. It's become an ASMR podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm not sure how <laughs> Oh, no, that's got to be bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. fuck Mary Kill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know if I. Who was it? Was it Allen Ginsberg? Yeah, Jack Carrack, yeah. and the other one? Neil Cassidy. Neil Cassidy. I'd probably I'd marry Neil Cassidy. Oh, controversial. I'd I don't I don't know. He just seems like the most grounded. And then I'd probably shag Jack Kerouac. Yeah. And kill Allen Ginsberg, but after he's done the writing and. Wow, that's a hot take. No, yeah, I, 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 agree, I agree with that. That's, that's, that's my take. Sadly, but he just... I I am the opposite of you guys here. So I'm thinking oh, I'm wow. gonna kill Neil Cassidy. R.I.P. I will fuck um, Jack Kerouac and then oh. Mary Allen. That's going to be... Yeah. My thought was that Neil Cassidy, while isn't, he isn't the most well-known for any writing that he did, he was like a muse for a lot of their yeah. writers. So maybe he's too much of a keeping him alive a big deal like he had such an impact on everyone i'm not sure i'd want to marry someone like that which is why i'm like i i'd marry jack yeah he was his energy is just yeah and also he everyone was in love with him so i'd want to know why that's why you shag him neil cassie also had didn't he have like a disfigured hand at some point i feel like all of them intimidate me though like i wouldn't want to marry any of them i'd date them but i wouldn't marry them yeah yeah that's true. You'd find someone a little yeah. bit more normal. Well, like, at least, you know, change them a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're all a little bit too, like, free spirit. Yeah. Which I to, support. To marry. I will say, though, I mean, you then compare them to what's in the book. I think it's Old Bully, so William Burroughs. And he, he is on another oh level. Oh, my God. Like, he's just yeah. even worse yeah. than them. He is on another... And I feel like that's what the one that the film did yeah. qu- quite a good job with the casting of what, his role. Yeah. Um, I got the very similar. When he's he yeah. like in the back and he's in the with a gas mask. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that is just absolutely like for the character he describes in the novel. It is absolutely perfect casting. Like that is the most perfect way to introduce a character like his. Yeah. Just completely absorbed constantly his in like some kind world. of drug. Yeah. I haven't exactly read any experience. of his yeah. novels, but I w- I would like to. I just feel like it's yeah. something I would have to like sit down and invest brain power yeah, that same. I currently don't possess mm. into. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> A big relate there. I read like Naked Lunch when I was I think yeah in school at some point and I remember it's you know how you you get a lot of adults complaining about things like skins and they say oh it's encouraging younger children to do drugs and it's like glamorizing romanticizing yeah. well I recommend then they use this as anti-drug like propaganda that is that literally put me off most drugs for my life like I was really <laughs> and it was because the way he described <laughs> exactly drugs. it was like war on drugs but in this like insane novel because it was just I think yeah it was so opposite like this kind of glamorous situation it was so dirty and just kind of confused and disturbing yeah it was it was intense i know what you mean on that i feel like i've talked about this a lot i don't think i've talked about on the podcast but definitely in american literature how much i love joan didion you've heard me talk about (laughs) yeah yeah but that kind of like I feel like that kind of relates it because she there's i don't think it's in a book we did in uh south and west but 
um, there's an in another novel of hers, I'm not sure which one, where she visits a child and the child is six years old and it's like completely high on drugs because its mom just gives it drugs. Yeah. And then I think it was LSD. I'm not sure. But yeah. And she's, but like, because her style of writing is that she doesn't really put an opinion in there. Like, she kind of does, but she never states it was awful to her. She wrote in it, she was like, that was gold seeing something mm. like that as a mm. journalist because it's such a phenomenal moment to yeah, write yeah. about. And she she has like this kind of wall in between. I'm making a lot of movements with my hands, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's a wall. <laughs> it's a wall. I'm 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 acting like I'm a how do you call that? Oh. Like input like the impressionist yeah, dancing. When kind they have of the face paint on modern Mimer, like a mimer. The modern dance, mimer. Yeah, mimer. I, th- I thought you were. Uh, I th- what I thought yes. you were getting at was like the person on TV who does the sign language, um, interpretations of like that someone's speech. <laughs> yes. <gasps> Shout out to Wait, them. I'll get on that in a second. I know, but like the- I have an amazing sign language story in a second. That <laughs> 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 just just remind me of. But yeah, I feel like Jackara kind of has the same. Um, wall in between what he experiences mm-hmm. and his emotions yeah. Yeah. in the way it's written yeah. and that way I feel like it's clearer to the reader to like put you off of some things even though he might idolise it a bit which is the way I felt about Dean Moriarty like he was idolised in the way it's written but still I have this because it's so honest mm. like a my own opinion could easily like seep in yeah, yeah. which that remind me of yeah, I think that's an interesting yeah. point to make. Yeah. Like, I think, especially in terms of the fact that it's a quasi-autobiographical format. So he has almost like a journalistic standpoint. Yeah, In the sense he's exactly. describing real accounts of real events. So you, it's like you said, it's kind of like, it's sort of like an opaque or like a translucent wall. There's the walls there, but you can also see from like the a wall. window. I'm extending this metaphor. <laughs> yeah, this metaphor's going trans- so far. <laughs> <laughs> It's made of yeah. like like brick, but not. <laughs> it's like wooden aspects in like, there, like Lego bricks. You can dismantle it. Oh my god! I want to hear your mime story. Oh, though. I'm really excited. Yeah, so for this. sign language. Yeah, we've had a lot of like conferences with the pro- like as everyone yeah. has during Corona time. You know, the the prime minister's doing a lot of talks on the telly, and there's this sign language lady next to him, obviously, which is great. Um. No one asked for my opinion on sign language people, but you have it great. Legends <laughs> underappreciated people in our exactly. society mm. that need to like. Well, yeah, not oh. at all. Because okay. we this was around the time when people started bulk buying a lot, uh, and the sign language for bulk buying here is hamstering, as in the animal hamster, because they do that. Uh, so that was the sign language. She did that. I'm I'm acting like a hamster <laughs> for the people listening, and. She yeah. got so like that became a viral meme, and she got so famous that now she is one of the most famous people of our time in the oh Netherlands. My God. This lady who does the sign language, That's so good. Um, and she's now oh the God. one who always does the sign language for the politicians, and they kind of have a joke in between them that now every time they talk about bulk buying, and then they look at her, let her do her thing, <laughs> and go back, and they have this little connection. But this raised so much awareness for sign language that the schools 
can't accept any more people because so many people have applied to learn sign language. Oh, wow. <laughs> so oh it's, like, God. become a full thing. Yeah. And now <laughs> the last time, because if it's more than an hour, they need to switch because... It, she might get tired and like uh, yeah something like that and then the entire internet just went rogue we're like we want Irma back where has she gone <laughs> so oh, yeah wow. that, that was my story sign language <laughs> is a big thing now in the Netherlands I love when when like meme culture becomes actual kind of societal capital and like yeah. the whole economy is built around some kind of insane trafficking of a meme like that is just it still kind of blows my mind a little bit and these, that these people are real. Oh, it's very weird. And very weird. with the whole thing, sort of yesterday and the day before, about um, Trump's... What is He was in Tulsa, wasn't he? And... Somewhere in Melbourne. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's the, like the K-pop fans who reserved all of the tickets. Oh, and they thought yeah. that there was gonna, they kept saying that there was going to be yeah. over a million people turning up. And then there was apparently <laughs> like the the rough estimate is somewhere between six to eight thousand people were actually in yeah. this arena that was made for like over double that amount of people. And like there were yeah. they had an overflow stage ready outside with the screen and there was like six people there. Oh my god. And yeah. that's what no. that's what I they find said so the... strange. Yeah, like the how K pop fans have suddenly we become have... this like political Not movement. We, the internet <laughs> yeah. has so much it's power. So, it's so crazy. Like they're I mean they were doing so like bits for the Black Lives Matter movement with yeah. um, I think they were like basically like spreading a message of how to watch videos in order for like AdSense to be kind of the highest it can possibly be. They had all these tricks that they were yeah. passing on. And... and then they're doing this stuff like yeah. There was the thing for Trump's birthday where he they they tweet they like put out a link to a website where you could send Trump a birthday card online and they were just sending him like all of the um fan cams and just like sending Trump a load of K pop videos <laughs> just to like it's so, so that you can't actually see any of the real birthday cards for Trump. It's all just like oh K pop. It's Love so it. good. Yeah, but the the news, like the Dutch news, told it as teenagers, and I was like, no, you need to be more specific. K-pop fans have done this. <laughs> They're a whole other entity. They're not just teenagers. Yeah, they don't fall into teenagers. Yeah. Powerful. <laughs> I was just thinking, actually, like talk, speaking of American presidents, I was just trying to think who was the American president in power at the time that On the Road was written. That was what, no. What year is it? actually published and written in wouldn't it wouldn't have been jfk well it would have been during the war jfk was later i think so truman was 1945 to 53 so okay would have been truman when it was written and then who was after truman was eisenhower yeah so then he would have been when it was published yeah it's eisenhower yeah so i don't know enough political history to kind of speak of truman no same not for america yeah like i know like 1800 a bit but then like yeah. the ninth, like during wartime I know absolutely nothing really about America like I know the Cuba crisis yeah. and everything but not like what was really happening there during the war and stuff like probably they I had, like, like Pearl Harbor. I know like the basic facts um, yeah oh so guys in in um Truman's first month in off- office he dropped the atomic bomb on Japan which effectively ended world war 2 oh II, that apparently. yeah <laughs> that that thing <laughs> in America, it's yeah. still so. like positioned as this great event that ended the war, and it's like still 
taught to be like a good mm-hmm. thing that they did and i don't get that yeah yeah it's and, and i think it starts a very complex history with nuclear weapons and yeah I, I mean what effectively would lead on to i mean if you're looking at this in a more hyperbolized way things like the cuban missile crisis mm. and these kind of relationships with other countries that are based around non-human kind of threat which is very strange and alien to the people who are alive at the time yeah yeah and we were kind of talking about that with um when we did tinker taylor soldier spy talking about um the cold war because technically the cold war started as soon as the second world war ended which neither of us really realized like how long it spanned because it went from the Mm. mid 40s to the um the end of the ussr in 1991 Mm. yeah so at this point the cold war was I don't know, I've always just assumed it ended, like, yeah, in the Yeah, but 50s. at this point, the Cold War and, like, anti-communism mm-hmm. was quite a big thing, which is why it is interesting that there is sort of so many references to poverty and, like, the framing it mm. almost as, like, a good yeah. thing for the soul, I suppose. And also the fact that Allen Ginsberg character is called Carlo yeah. Marx, and it would have been yeah published in a time when... <laughs> communism and socialism mm. probably wasn't yeah. the most popular, popular. overall. <laughs> well, it depends. Just just very, like, intense opinions yeah. about it. that's true. Yeah. But that's why, like, it's it has such a lack of politics for the amount of politics yeah. that were going on yeah. at the time. Yeah, I, I mean, this is... I just realised as well, we had the whole McCarthyism movement at this time. So, I mean, communists that's were literally true. being yeah. dragged into a legal setting where they were essentially criminalised for their beliefs. And they're out here living this kind of very glorified, very sexually charged <laughs> in, in this environment, which is, like, so heavily on drugs, on kind of social liberation. And it's like they're in this kind of bubble of sort of liberation and liberalism well outside it's just a complete shit show (laughs) and it's yeah but that's the thing like apparently for decades after it was uh, after the um on the road was published it was kind of hailed as this like defining novel for uh, that sort of encapsulated youth culture which hadn't really been a thing like the 50s was kind of but i mean the start of the invention of the teenager going back to what we were saying before about what teenagers are doing now like this was the novel that kind of catapulted youth culture then into Mm. the mainstream. I mean, my copy on the back has a quote from Bob Dylan. Yes, mine does too. Go and read it out. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's the one that says, it changed my life like it changed everyone else's. And I think that's like, because he even defined so much of Americans and everyone's culture. Mm. Like, this led on to like, the Beatles were inspired by Bob mm-hmm. Dylan and that like created yeah. a generation. I think this was sort of the start of stan culture. Yeah. If you know definitely. what I mean. Like the very because you had James Dean as well and Marlon Brando at this time, which were kind of like pre Beatles kind of yeah, definitely. like American celebrities that were that are like an emblem of teenage yeah. culture at the at that point which yeah. like leads us on to where we are now although it is important to note like the jazz artists that yeah. like started before that like a lot of the this movement not even just this movement but like the entire music movement that from... started about yeah. black people yeah that's and true. how much was shaped by that and then that's that's the thing it does kind of erase like 
but I'm not saying that this book erases race itself, like I don't have enough knowledge about that, but how like stan culture by the people who became famous, not necessarily their fault that they became famous, but the like how big Bob Dylan was and how big the Beatles are and how they are shaped like they changed music. Yeah. It's a bit weird because it's never really talked about their inspiration. That's like a big problem that's been going on for ages. But I just really realised how that like in stan culture is. Yeah, that's true. Not really relevant to the book that much, but... I think this is what we talked about when we were recording before, but talking about how it's a very white perspective on America, which in the the coming years and decades after this would go through a whole change with Stonewall and the civil rights movement. But you can kind of see it like the America sort of gearing up towards that in this novel I think they are yes definitely because obviously it's written by and about some of the more liberal white men definitely you know, yeah. like it's, they're, they're not like ever gonna be huge republican politicians or anything the yeah but uh, yeah it's, it's interesting that it is by and about white men at a point when everything was starting to change yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to get out there, but th- th- they were thoughts. <laughs> it is an interesting discussion, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think the social atmosphere of the time, the social environments people were in, I mean, it was, like you said, this is, it was kind of a deconstruction of, I mean, it was, you're coming out of the post-war, you're, so you're coming in, out of this kind of period of great economic depression. And I mean, literally this point, so in the 50s, the t- I think the term teenager had only just really been coined. So there was only just yeah. begin to be a sense of, oh, there is this group of people who are not quite kind of mature enough to be in the adult sector, but they're also not kids. They're not, you know, they're kind of, they're doing things, like they're having sex, they're doing drugs, they're doing things that we don't really associate with childhood. And we have this whole sector. Yeah, exactly. And, but then, I mean, it's again, like you're talking, oh, when you talk about race and you think about the idea of, the time we have this awkward sense in the fact that things are progressing some things are progressing faster than others and you have you know this a movement of kind of social liberation and kind of experimentation with drugs but simultaneously i mean like the mortality rate of if even like famous black musicians compared to white musicians at the time you had so many black musician deaths at the time i mean related to kind of violence or drug abuse or whatever it was related to but i mean it's yeah it's very present but it's and that's not a progression sort of thing and that kind of grates against this idea that this is this period of kind of great social change and evolution so it's an interesting era for sure yeah Yeah. and it's it's like that this book i feel like is something that could only have been written by a white man at this point yeah it couldn't have been written by a woman it couldn't be written by anyone like anyone who was non-white I don't know it was definitely it's definitely like specific to that demographic in that they had the freedom to travel across America and they the privilege yeah they had the privilege to be able to go to Mexico and and see it as like interesting like see the other life as yeah interesting instead of reality perspective yeah yeah but like um when we're thinking about 1950s youth culture I personally think of Greece yeah and the outsiders <laughs> yeah and like the sort of like women in their the dresses with the waists and the hoop skirts and like with a coca-cola yeah. sort of thing the white leg trousers <laughs> yeah and I, I wouldn't really think of on the road 
so much, but I, I definitely know. I feel like now can see how that sort of added to that. I feel like I kind they of do now hand in hand. because if you think mm-hmm. about America in the fifties, I think I would think about this, but because it's so specifically American, and if I think about the fifties, I would yeah. probably think more about Europe. Yeah. In a sense, but now it's. I think it's the first book that we've mm. done on the podcast that since I've read it, I have really thought about it more. Like I feel like it's. The others were really good, and I loved reading them. But this had more like a lasting impact. I feel because it's a different kind of read than. Yeah. Yeah. Fun yeah. and good. Other than maybe Tinker Taylor, yeah. probably, same. Yeah. But that was because it was really different from something I've read before. I feel like this might be similar, but in a way it's like more... Mm. I, I know what they mean with this hat. I, I can see why this had such an impact yeah. on a generation. Something I just realised is that this is a very similar... Like only a couple of years after when Guernsey set. Oh, yeah. But don't they feel like a complete world apart? Yeah. The others is much more 90s. <laughs> yeah, I think because that was when it was written, but also, yeah. um, like, if this is what's happening in America at the same time that that was what was happening in London and Guernsey, it's like, yeah. every, you can kind of see the world changing in a post-war economy. Yeah, but, like finding identity. Yeah, but it's it's a different kind of change for each person. I think it's important as well to look at this, the you know, the hippie movement and that kind of period which was later be bred out of this. Um and to remember that, I mean, I, f- I feel like a lot of Americans, like the majority of Americans were still fairly conservative at the time yeah. and they didn't really like the Definitely, idea of the yeah. way these people were living. And it's very easy, I think, you have you have this very kind of romanticised and aestheticised sort of version of the 70s and 60s kind of imprinted in our mind and it's this kind of great period of cultural... It's, it's em- it embodies so much stuff that we still find relevant today. Yeah. But, I mean you kind of look at the social reactions at the time to people like this and, and they'd sort of be sitting on the streets and, and people would just kind of look at them with this, <laughs> with this intense kind of disgust and hatred because I think they, the kind of damage I think they saw as, you know, <laughs> that they were doing to val- like traditional Americana values yeah, that they were kind definitely. of seeking to disrupt. And that's still going on. Yeah, especially yeah, with the yeah. civil rights movement like 10 years after this was published and and now with mm-hmm. the Black Lives Matter protests like that we're having after, as are being demonised in the same way that um, civil rights yeah. protests were in the 60s. And now we look mm-hmm. back on it and we look at it and we're like, they were a period of great change. Like, it, they were right to be doing that. They were, like, they were brave and they were really good and being strong in their values to do that. But we're still... We're not so different. We're still demonising the protests that are happening at the moment and we're trying to find yeah. ways to justify our perspective on that. Yeah, and I think it does just go to show that we are, haven't progressed so much from what's in On the Road than we like to think I we I think have. that's interesting because we do books from each decade, of course. I think it's yeah. so interesting to see, especially with this one, I haven't really felt that that much in the other ones, how small the amount of time is that we like know of history like well in detail compared to how much we've progressed as like that's a really obvious thing to say but if you look back at like i don't know the year zero you know (laughs) (laughs) this is such a small amount of time but before this we've looked at how different each decade is and i think with this book in a lot of ways we have to look at how similar similar they are and yeah, I think we'll also be doing that next month. 
because we're reading Animal Farm oh, next month, nice mm-hmm. which obviously is the 40s. So sort of we're only going back 10 years. Yeah, I think it's even late 40s, isn't it? Yeah, so there isn't a huge amount. Because um, this was early 50s. I have a great a great story about Animal Farm, Ooh. actually. Because I was a pretentious piece of shit when I was eight years old. <laughs> and my mum was also quite pretentious. So she would give me all these books to read. and I ended, So I ended up reading a lot of kind of these really intense books when I was quite young. So I remember I read Animal Farm when I was eight. <laughs> but she gave it to me. And we were, so we were going on holiday because she was working in China at the time. So we were going to China and we were coming with her for her work. And I brought it with me because I was only just started it I was really excited to crack on with my book we get to the airport and my stupid brother brings sun cream in his hand luggage so we all end up having to get our luggage checked and while the man's doing checks of our luggage he like just opens my like little hello kitty backpack and he just brings out George Orwell's (laughs) (laughs) and he just (laughs) and he looks at my little face and I'm just kind of like wave like hi yeah that's my and he was like oh right enjoying this one I was just like yeah yeah (laughs) and my dad just kind of looks back at me just like rolling his eyes like oh my god what have I raised this creature (laughs) Yes, that was that was my experience with that. That's amazing. <laughs> I could just really see changed. little you with like pigtails, <laughs> but like holding a hammer yeah. and like a red flag <laughs> around you. Like, oh, honestly, <laughs> it was quite an experience. I lo- and I love how it was. I was taking it to China as well. Like now, I saw this yeah. real kind Ooh, of like yeah. irony of yeah, Risky. Re- very weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a little snippet for next week, <laughs> uh, next month. <laughs> Oh, there you go. I was also thinking as well, we were talking about kind of how it's, you know, social environments of the times in which it was written and everything. And something I was kind of became aware of recently was like, you know, the war on drugs throughout America, throughout that yeah. kind of era. Yeah. And that you had like Nixon and Reagan and that whole kind of movement to criminalise it and really set it in stone. And I feel like this was, I mean, this comes just slightly before that movement, obviously, but it's kind of yeah so it's interesting to have this kind of perspective on drugs that i mean it's still in some ways present today with you know how people are fighting for it to get decriminalized and there's kind of a lot of research being done around especially psychedelics and how they can be helpful to a bunch of kind of mental issues like trauma ptsd so it's kind of interesting we've kind of come full circle with that thing you know how so we had this book come out and it's kind of oh wait drugs are great (laughs) and then america's like actually no it's not anymore (laughs) you're gonna go to jail and now how we're beginning to have a kind of uprising again this kind of resurgence so that i think is quite bizarre yeah yeah. We really do live in circles, is what we've learned. <laughs> yeah. Every year is the same, yeah. we just don't realise it. Or we try not to realise it. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah, it's quite creepy. And I think you had, so they had the MK Ultra. I don't know if you guys know much about the, yeah, like Pro- Project MK Ultra, which was... No. Uh, so basically, it was this CIA experiment, and it was done, I think, in the late 60s, 70s period. And it was designed to kind of... They were wanting to weaponize LSD as a mind control drug, potentially for use in Ooh. the military. Um, yeah, so at, they were, oh. at the time... Yeah, Isn't it's that quite... what's kind of happening in the orange clockwork? 
a clockwork orange clockwork orange yeah <laughs> you always got one it's so yeah, bad so like, we have and wrong. we have really similar themes in in that as well like yeah in, in Anthony Burgess's works he explores that idea of like how the government can use these drugs as this kind of mind but it's crazy because it essentially got exposed much later on and it was found out that the um, CIA would just drag like they'd get people off the streets to come in unknowingly and they'd unknowingly feed them these drugs in a drink so they'd kind of lace their drinks and they'd, wow. these people would get high and they'd kind of record it and they'd watch it from like a room that was sort of hidden and they even did it to their own agents as well and it's kind of now got so much sort of backlash against it because it was hidden and they found these papers and loads of the papers were burnt behind it it's this crazy part of american history it's really interesting yeah that sounds cool like like bad but so interesting yeah they do i think there's a really really good series oh, i'm trying to think where is it i don't think it's on netflix but there's either a film or a series called wormwood and it's basically explores the kind of narrative of this agent it's a true life story who got laced with with lsd and he fell from a window and died and the cia refused to accept accountability and yeah to this day his family still haven't really found any justice from the situation so it's really crazy (laughs) and like really messed up but yeah i think like the american kind of history of drugs is just so insane like all of these kind of the way that it's kind of moved and kind of just evolved throughout politics and change is crazy it's really interesting definitely yeah wow you really brought some insider information. Well, insider, <laughs> not really, but like, <laughs> yeah, I I don't know where I found out about it, but I just remember. I mean, I feel like we've all been through the same existential crisis, like throughout our kind of late teenage, early adult period, where we kind of realise that the government isn't totally good, yeah, and we kind of have this massive personal crisis. <laughs> yeah, um, and really... yeah, yeah the yeah. good old days but definitely just being i feel like there's a big difference between that because we're all quite raised with online communities mm-hmm. and instagrams and tumblers yeah. and a lot of political awareness <laughs> on of feeds yeah even on Facebook, <laughs> probably <laughs> my good said communism is good yeah exactly <laughs> it's crazy 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 but yeah definitely did you enjoy it, Kat? I have never had more fun. Good. <laughs> Especially considering... It's say no. yeah, I mean, honestly, just talking to people that aren't my family during lockdown is a privilege. And, yeah, it's been great. And it's That's nice true. to talk about something that kind of, like, stretches our brains a little bit. Now uni's over. Oh, my and God. we haven't got yeah. anything exactly. to think about. Like a, a personal little seminar. Yeah. Group. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. So, this was our sixth... I'm looking at me for confirmation it's, it here. It's our June episode. So, yeah, sixth. Sixth so, episode. Yes, sixth episode. So, we're halfway through. We are halfway. Ooh, with the halfway book from the 50s. Um, yeah. Next month, we'll be doing Animal, Animal Farm. Farm. So, we go into the 40s with Caroline from uh, our communist friend. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll be travelling across the seas. Because I we think will. they're, they're in, from, um, To America. America. Yeah. We wow. we will go on the road, <laughs> <laughs> or in the, in the air, or, or by, by yeah. sea. Who knows? <laughs> we'll swim, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. So follow us on on Instagram. That's the Time Turner Collective. If you want any updates on that, we're not really on any other social media, <laughs> but we're there. Yeah. And you can listen to us on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, which I heard is expanding. Beyond nice. just Northern America, so that's exciting. Yeah, um, I think just to like 
maybe Australia, but <laughs> it's fine. It's 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 a little Semi-local. bit more. <laughs> um, otherwise, Android listeners can listen to us on Acast. Although, if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. That's true. But yeah, good point. That's it for this month. Hope you liked it. Give it a little like. Subscribe. Give it a comment <laughs> if you want. <laughs> And as and the beast generation going across to America, everyone across America would say <laughs> everyone who's traveling across. Oh America wait, sorry, from... no, Kat, do you have something you want to plug to um, all the people listening? <laughs> all of I them. I don't even know what I plug. Oh, I guess I mean I do have an Instagram for my poetry. Yeah, yeah. We'll tag you in it. We'll do the meet the guest yes. and we'll we'll tag Amazing. that in in there so yeah, yeah. people can read my email ramblings follow her she's great yeah <laughs> yeah thanks guys as as everyone who's ever been in america would say or in a car <laughs> or part of a generation ever oh my god love to see it goodbye we'll see you in the past <laughs>